1: Hello, i'm justine willis toms welcome to the new dimensions cafe today i'm hosting dr neil douglas klotz author of the revelations of the aramaic jesus the hidden teachings on life and death i'm speaking with neil at his home by remote connection welcome neil to the new dimensions cafe
2: thank you justine glad to be here
1: glad to have you The words of Jesus are often quoted and translated. We are familiar with them in the King James Version of the Bible, which was written in Greek, which uh, Jesus didn't actually speak. So tell us, what language did Jesus speak?
2: Jesus actually spoke Aramaic, as you'll guess from the title of my book, um, which is an ancient Semitic language. And uh, the ancient Semitic languages really come out of a nomadic experience where people are always traveling, 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 traveling. This is before agriculture. This particular language stream evolved.
1: And we're talking about the Middle East.
2: We're talking about, yes, Middle East or what some people now call uh, Southwest Asia. So it's this whole area that is sort of a nexus, a meeting place of what we now call Africa, Europe, and, you know, Asia. Aramaic evolves out of this, and so it has a very particular way of seeing the world. And uh, Jesus' words, which he would have spoken in Aramaic, because that's what his listeners understood, are really the basis of my work.
1: He didn't write down what he said. It was kind of passed from word of mouth and word of mouth. And so what references, Neil, do you have to these words that connect it with Aramaic rather than Greek?
2: I'm using the Bible that Aramaic Christians today use, which is in Syriac Aramaic. Syriac is a slightly later version of Aramaic than what Jesus would have spoke, but all the major words, all the main words that he said are still there. They're the same words. So I often point out to scholars, if or when he said anything, he said them in Aramaic. And this is a much better window to what he meant than than any Greek version. Uh, The whole issue of how it got from his mouth to the scroll or the printed page, this is a subject of endless scholarly theories and debates, and people are creating PhDs out of these theories as we speak here today. And, you know, there were various theories that wax and wane, they get more popular and then they get less popular. Like Q was popular for a while and then it's gone down a bit. And, you know, Aramaic Christians say, you know, our Bible, the Bible that we have, is the oldest copy of the Bible, which I think is in the Smithsonian Institute, is only 100 years newer than the oldest Greek Bible.
1: So it was 100 years before
2: No, 100 years after.
1: After, okay, okay.
2: And they said that we Aramaic Christians, we didn't save old Bibles. When they got too old, as a scroll or the palimpsest or the manuscript, we ritually burned them after laboriously copying that version, checking it again and again, and then we ritually burned the old one because they considered the actual substance of the scripture itself to be sacred. The actual book was considered to be sacred.
1: So are you saying that these scrolls, which were recopied and recopied very, very, very carefully, exist today?
2: Yes, there's what's called a codex, which is an early form of a book uh, that you'll find in various museums, and I believe one is in the Smithsonian, There are pages in this form. This was scrolls would have been a little earlier, like we have Dead Sea Scrolls. So you have this sort of book form, this early sort of book form with these pages with Aramaic on them. Yeah.
1: And what's important about all of this is that in your studies and your very very scholarly studies, I mean, you've you've gone through you know getting a PhD in this, but more than that, you've also studied it. In other ways, and with just grand teachers and just really with your whole body and your mind and your heart, you've been immersed in this. So what would you consider one of the most important revelations that you could share with us about the message that Jesus was truly bringing to us today?
2: You know, my work really began with experiences of chanting Jesus's words. I learned all this academic stuff. I got all these degrees, went through all this just to defend the whole thing and to find out what other people were saying and to test what I was doing with other scholars. That's why I spent all these years in the American Academy of Religion as chair of the mysticism group. So his main message is, you know, connect your individual self to the only self. This will open the doorway to you. Be ripe, be in the present moment. Your breath is part of nature's breath, and that breath is what he called rucha de kucha, holy breath, holy spirit.
1: I need to stop you for just a moment because you said be ripe, because some of our listeners will hear you saying be right.
2: Oh, be right, yeah, no, not right. R I P E, it's an image from nature. He uses so many images from nature. Be ripe, like he talks about in Luke. The so called good tree bears good fruit, the evil tree bears evil fruit. He's saying the ripe tree bears ripe fruit. Go figure. An unripe tree is going to bear unripe fruit. Go figure. Live your life like a ripe tree, you know. Don't be unripe. Don't be too early, too late. Don't be rotten fruit. Don't be, you know, green fruit is okay because you may still ripen. But some activities, behaviors that we're doing may have over-ripened, they may be rotten, they're ready for the compost.
1: Also, in the words of Jesus, the breath is very, very important.
2: Absolutely, Justine. He says in John, in one of the many passages in John, Allah, which is the word for reality, which is better than God in some ways, I feel, as a translation for what's usually translated as God, Allah is breath. But it's not only my breath or this air going in and out of my lungs. It's the wind around me. It's the atmosphere, the climate around the earth. And then it's the, you could say, beyond the earth sphere. It's the atmosphere, breath throughout the universe. This is what he calls holy breath, which is later translated as Holy Spirit, or I call it sacred breath.
1: Oh, yes, yes. And let me see if I remember correctly, and John, it might open... In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God.
2: Wonderful, wonderful passage. Beautiful, poetic. In Aramaic, it's even better. This word is really the sound or conversation, you could say. But what's important to know, I mean, I have a whole chapter on this, too, in the new book. Word is really associated with wisdom, that is, holy wisdom, a hakimah in Aramaic, or she's better known as Sophia in later Christian mysticism and Gnosticism. So, he says, in the beginning was this word, this wisdom, and this word and wisdom is coming into flesh. This is what John says. And rather than being this dualistic thing, where it says, you know, the light shined in the darkness and the darkness apprehended it not, which is the King James, it says, the light shines together with the darkness. Because in Semitic languages, light and darkness just alternate. You can have holy darkness as well as you can have holy light. So... This word, this wisdom is coming into this everyday reality where we have this revolution of day and night, day and night. And then it's nestling down within us, John says. And it says the word dwelt among us. But it says it nestles down into us, into us, into us. And the evidence of this, the person who did this that we know of, his name is Yeshua.
1: Mm. And he shows
2: us how to do it ourselves
1: we know him as jesus but in aramaic yeshua
2: yep
1: so what i hear in semitic languages there's yin and yang they hold the whole yes. of both end
2: there's very much both end in all of these seeming opposites in the bible whether in hebrew or in aramaic actually in arabic too in the quran since i've done a lot of study of quran so all of this later overlay of either theology or jurisprudence into these things fall redemption you know, St. Augustine, all of these things, this is all later. This all comes much later and out of various historical circumstances and actually often in service of empire, in service of conquering other people or taking away their land or property or, you know, the land they're living on or these sorts of things.
1: Going back to the words and the word was with God, may we conclude this conversation with the Aramaic interpretation of or translation of the word God.
2: Yes, God in Aramaic is Allahah, Allaha, And you may notice that that sounds very similar to the Arabic Allah. That's because it's part of a stream of the same word. Hebrew is Elohim, or slightly later Hebrew, Eloha, just before the time of Jesus. Aramaic changes it to Allahah. Arabic changes it to Allah. None of it actually means God, although Muslims, Christians, and Jews will argue with you endlessly about this. But God is the placeholder for that which is the mystery, the reality of all.
1: Oh, yes, the cosmic mystery to which we are constantly connected. Neil, I want to just thank you so much for being with us and giving us this very brief little Glimpse into your wonderful work. I've been speaking with Dr. Neil Douglas Klotz, and he spells his last name K L O T Z. And he's the author of Revelations of the Aramaic Jesus, the Hidden Teachings on Life and Death. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, aboon.org, and he spells that A B dot org, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org, where you'll find over 1,700 programs in its archive. I'm Justine Willis-Thoms, and I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe.